Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. We usually just like start recording right away so we don't even do like a pre like pre-chat. We usually just go right in. So Solid. If you want to, we can we can just start recording if you're rolling. I'm very up for it. All, all, I, all I would say, gang, is, is that my um, Google, my internet, as silly as this might sound for a cutting edge, thrusting young tech <laughs> entrepreneur as myself, since, <laughs> since now everyone in my postcode is now on internet and Zoom, basically, my, cut a long story short, sometimes it kind of fails or blips or whatever, to which I would just say, if I drop off or cut my camera, unless you're, you want to play Mr. Editor, don't worry, I'll just come back in quietly and, and rejoin and proceed as before. Yeah, we'll, we'll just carry on talking without you. That's fine. But yeah, maybe we turn off our cameras, which is what we usually do, actually. We've all we've all seen the beards now. So <laughs> yeah, we have. No, but do you know what you haven't seen? Excuse me. No, excuse you guys. What you have not seen is the beard comb. The coat, the beard comb. My mage beard comb. This is like 20 hit points in, in Morrowind. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I also have a beard comb. Good man. Do you, but do you know it's what I wo- like? It's wooden. Oh, very good. It's not fashioned from the thighs of dead virgins, then, like no. mine. <laughs> That's a very new metal move. Oh, it is, it is. Anyway, listen, gang. So, all right, listen, let's turn off the camera. Jenny, it's good to see you guys, and you are heroes. And thank you, Jenny. Thank you very much, gang. I no, appreciate we, it. we thought it would be really fun. One of the first people and, we, we thought of when we thought, we, and, could and, we get guests on? And... and can I suggest you guys are also faintly ridiculous, right? Because, like, what possesses chaps such as yourself to just fire up? <laughs> concurrent podcasts and let's be frank let's be frank your first one wasn't even very good best one in the world <laughs> so, it's, so it's not like you'd even perfected the art and then said okay you know let's go let's go you know scratch our other interests it's like you hadn't even excelled at the first one and foolhardy foolhardy blowhards that you are you thought let's just let's just spread our already rather thin and anemic talents across two pod- uh, you know may i applaud your boldness i don't think that started as a compliment in fact it just <laughs> but uh, but i I think as it, I, it didn't end as one either. No, no, it did, it did, it did. No, no, it did. It was just, it's just the the, the chutzpah of it all. This is very bullshit. But I, I applaud you both. Well, if there's one thing I've learned in life, that, you know, as we hit our early thirties, now that I've become a father, <laughs> mm-hmm. it does. It is that things don't have to be good. They just have to be there. It's true. Know? It's true. And um, I. Well, yeah, no, no, wholly agree. Guess what? It sounded like I was about to come in with my own anecdote as a father, and I realised I had nothing to say, so, so I just aborted it. <laughs> Sorry. You have pets, though, right? No, I don't. I, li- I have, I have nothing. Uh, I have nothing to sustain or care for. I have house plants. I'm looking at a money plant right now, and, and that counts. You know, no, anyway, that's that's a good precursor to children. So yeah. Mm-hmm. A, ma- a magic money tree. I love this. You know, I don't know if you, I know you guys haven't done this yet, but you know, sometimes you have those podcasts where they take the sort of chit chat and they kind of cut it and run the kind of jingle music over it just as a kind of taste of things to come. We could do that. Yeah, you could totally do that. I, yeah, I, we should, we should definitely do that. Yeah, on yeah. The we're all recording, one. right? So we're yeah, getting yeah, yeah. So I'm certainly recording. Yeah, I started recording back. <laughs> so. Good, good. <clears throat> Detective, so su- can, Detective um, Superintendent Rob was always recording. Got his, he's got, his, got his body mics. It's, I always have yeah. receipts. <laughs> he's never off. Oh, very good, gang. Very good. Yeah. Well, I'm ready to cool. go when you guys are ready to go. <clears throat> cool. I guess that means we have to come up with like a, a professional intro. Like, hey, you're listening to Pod Durst. This is the show. Because we don't even do that. We just jump right in. Yeah, no, let's, let's, um, 
Okay, well, I'll allow you two to do the honors. What up? You're listening to Pod Dust. It's a new metal podcast. <laughs> Welcome to the Pod Dust podcast, where we talk about new metal. It is about new metal, and this week we have a band that we're going to talk about. Yep. And we also have, for the first time ever in the history of our very long-standing podcasting relationship, which stretches back over 150 episodes of our other show, for the first time ever, we have a special guest. So it's it's my distinct pleasure to introduce the Mayor of Croydon, Johnny Rose. How are you? I'm very well, thank you very much, gang. That was liquid radio, the way you just eased in, and there was only, there was only about 13 seconds of dead air between both of you, so not too bad. <laughs> No, but it's, it's that's, an, that's it's not a record for us. <laughs> it's an honour to be here with you guys on your long-standing new metal podcast of how many episodes now? Six episodes. Six episodes. And which bands? Obviously, I've listened. So I'm just asking for the benefit of those who will be joining us for what will be your most successful episode. Um, which, which bands have you covered already, which everyone's missed out and needs to go back and listen to? So we started with Limp Biscuit, obviously, as the podcast is named after their frontman, Fred Durst. And then we did Papa Roach. Yeah, um, then uh, System of a Down. Oh, yeah. Uh, Slipknot and Corn. Oh. we have so far. Very good. And which was your favourite out of all of them so far? That's a good question. Because we, we're not, this show doesn't exist for us to necessarily decide what's good. We're, we're on a quest to find the most new metal band ever. And we have like <laughs> a, a ranking system that we're going to need you to contribute to. So the band who come out as the most new metal was, who was it, Rob? Was it Corn? So Corn are the most new metal so far. So we do have this, it's very complicated. It is an algorithm based on riff quality, catchy <laughs> chorus quality, theatrics, the number of superfluous band members, hair colour and style variety, goof factor, and the cringe barometer for 2020. Um, all of those are given a score out of 10, and then they are run through our supercomputer to come up with the new metal percentage. And that is what we're going off. So it's not necessarily the best band, but in, the most new metal band. Incredibly, Rob, your new metal supercomputer algorithm is more complex than most new metal itself. So that, <laughs> that alone is quite, quite laudable. Good work. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so I'm, in, I'm intrigued because, um, you know, this week we're, we're talking about Deftones, who are a band that mm-hmm. categorically have stated time and time again that they are <laughs> yeah, not it. and have never been new metal. Um, but, you know, I feel like it's important because they were one of the most, you know, important bands of the era um, to, to, to bring them into this shit fest, really. Do you, know, do you know what I feel like? I just think they're sitting around somewhere in Sacramento right now with their coronavirus masks on and they think and they're just saying we would have got away without those pesky kids in, <laughs> in London and Surrey. <laughs> like as, yeah. in, as in for like about a hot 15 years no one's mentioned them as in being part of the whole new metal oeuvre. Then Rob, you had to you had to just pull them back in. They would have escaped, except for one, for, for, for one unlistened to podcast has pulled them back in and just reignited <laughs> the debate once again. They nearly got away with it. They nearly, <laughs> they nearly got away with it. They nearly yeah. become alt metal, but no, we, we've brought them back in again. We're never going to let anyone forget new metal. That's also part of our mission as well. We want people to remember it because I felt like it was almost dead that people, people had forgotten that it existed. Yeah, no, although we are coming up to that point now where I'd say, guys, either because it's for many of the new metal gangs, 
what I feel is like a lot of them are starting to come out the woodwork again to relive past glories, if only to fund sort of ultimately their retirement. Because if you, you know, because many of them are coming onto their like fifties and sixties now, so it's time for that revival. And good work on you guys for for leading it with Pod Durst. Yeah, that's definitely part of the plan. We we definitely want to spearhead that. But what's interesting as well is that a lot of the bands we've talked about actually never went away and are still making music these days. That's still okay, right? Like Papa Roach's new stuff, we, and you know, we we go back and we listen to some of the newer stuff of these bands that we hadn't listened to. It's pretty good, you know. Corn's newer stuff, maybe not so much. What well, what do you guys think of it? And we'll, we'll land back on Deftones because that's what the people want to hear in a moment. But I guess I'll ask you what what do you guys make of bands who started as new metal and haven't perhaps aren't, aren't in their twenty twenty you know um, incarnation new metal anymore? Would you still would you still cast them on that light? People ones who've gone through that spectrum. I think if you were once new metal, then you were forever new metal. It's like if you did something embarrassing at school and you're never allowed to forget about it. It's the <laughs> musical equivalent of that. Um, so Papa Roach, you listen to their new stuff and it's very alt rock. Um, exactly. But, That's exactly what I was thinking. You can't get away from Blood Brothers or, or Last Resort. It's <laughs> no, you're never going to be able to forget that. No, no, I like, um, I, I like so, your thinking. Yeah. So they're always new metal and we, they'll forever be on our hearts as new metal bands um so yeah sorry guys you can't escape you even can't if you're escape. not new metal you still can't escape being good new metal and that yeah. goes for deftones too guys so in fact let me let me put this to you guys first then it, which was what was your first deftones experience because in in preparation for this i was I, I can remember the first time i encountered them um which was so I remember it was, this might this be blast from the past. I can't remember what the exact magazine was, but you remember back in the days in the early 2000s, you know, 99, 2000, 2001, you had loads of our magazines like Kerrang! and Metal Hammer and Rock Sound. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys used to save up your pocket money for that. Yeah, we definitely did. Yeah, and absolutely. I, I can remember the exact moment I encountered Deathless. It would have been in, in 2000 and it was either Rock Sound or Metal Hammer. There was a CD and I remember it distinctly. It was one of their freebie CDs and on it was Slipknot's Eyeless. This was my first encounter with metal. Uh. Up until then, all I knew was like Nirvana and whatever everyone else's older brothers and sisters were listening to, Offspring, that kind of stuff. Right? I had not encountered new metal until 2000. So I would have been maybe about 13, 14 at this time, I'd say. But it had Slipknot Eyeless and Street Cup. So 2000 was a year Deftones had dropped or were dropping White Pony. And that's what changed everything for me. So it was a freebie CD. I encountered track five of White Pony, Street Cup. That was it for me. Blew me away. Do you guys remember your first Deftones experience or when you first chanced upon them? For me, it must have been, it was probably the Kerrang! or MTV2 TV channel. And it was around that time, I talk about this a lot, we got cable TV and we had those music channels and I was just starting to discover metal and new metal, but also it was very popular at like my school as well. And a lot of us were just starting out learning how to play guitar. And I... I was never actually massively into Deftones at the time, so I think you guys are bigger fans than I was. I was I never disliked them, but they were never one of my favourites. But a lot of people at school were really into them, and I remember like everyone was learning to play like the riff from My Own Summer, like would tune your guitar down to drop D. I was great, man. You can only do it with one finger, and everyone was like playing, learning to play the riff, and that was the first <laughs> Deftones song that I heard. And then I remember going home. And I can't remember whether that happened first or whether I saw the video to it first on MTV2 or Kerrang! where they're like playing on a lake. Um, and as I thought yes, that was pretty yeah, cool. Yep. That was a great video. Rob, what about you? And for me, it was also my own summer, but I remember specifically it was on the Matrix movie soundtrack CD. 
um, was the first time that I heard it. So it was about 1999 when the movie came out. Um, and so they had some great artists on there. You had like the Prodigy, you had Rob Zombie, and My Own Summer by Deftones was on it. And that was the first time that I'd heard heard the band. I was like, oh, this is amazing. Um, you've got these really down-tuned riffs. Uh, you've got a singer who kind of sounds like a pig squealing all over it really big fan of the song and then from then on sort of you know um my, my love for the band increased with with each with each album actually I, I i like them more and more um but there was an, an immediate sort of oh this band is something special do you remember when new metal really took over the movie soundtrack airwaves it was in that era i mean you stumbled upon it rob i guess by talking about deftones with the matrix which didn't even feature in the film itself but do you remember there was just a time when every time there was basically an explosion for which a male protagonist had to walk back from. You basically had like Limp Biscuit playing in the background <laughs> or like Vin D. It was always, do you remember New Metal just all took right. over like, you know, all right, keep on rolling, baby. Every single time New Metal just ruled the soundtracks. It was like in the Marvel, you know, like Daredevil, those kind of superhero movies, which came out in that time would always have like a Fred, Tur- Fred Durst, Nearly said Fred Turd un- unintentionally. <laughs> Fred, Fred, Fred Durst, yeah. a Fred, a Fred Durst, a backing track, or um, you know something like that. I and mean, the, the the perfect example of that is Triple X, the Vin Diesel movie. I was which, about to say uh, Triple X. <laughs> yeah, it had Foyer Fry was like the song from it, and even the music video to that it was included in the film. Um, and then it had things like Bodies by Drowning Pool. It had Mushroom Head on it. Oh, um, brilliant! <laughs> and so, yeah, that was a real sort of like standout moment of dumb new metal taking over an incredibly dumb movie and it working perfectly together. And I think as well, a lot of the like music videos from the time were quite cinematic as well. Like even videos to like disturbed rubbish songs and stuff where they were doing the ooh, ha, 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 ha. like the video to that song has all like buildings collapsing and stuff. It's yeah, there was a big crossover. I think a bigger crossover between new metal and cinema at the time than people realise. I'd I'd have to agree, and I think and this and this says something. I don't think we've seen that since with any subsequent genre. You know, like. Less, if you even just stay within the rock metal genres, it's not like suddenly when you had like a ton of post-hardcore bands, like, you know, Taking Back Sunday and all those kind of, or Funeral for a Friend. You weren't seeing, you weren't seeing that from like 2003 onwards. You were not seeing this intersection between blockbuster cinema and rock on soundtracks in such a distinct manner. And I don't think you saw it before either in the early 90s or 80s. You definitely didn't see, you know, it wasn't like thrash metal in the 80s was suddenly like the backdrop to John Hughes clapping in the basketball field, kind of, uh, you know, kind of movie, you know, showdowns between the bully and the jock. You know, you weren't suddenly hearing like, you know, Enter Sandman or that kind of stuff. But but something about new metal, and I don't know if that's, I think it's one of the things which probably people revile it for, but both why it's just so brilliant is it was a popular in the truest sense, it was, it was for something so aggressive and loud, which probably was very against the mainstream metal-wise, it was popular and huge and very consumable, even for being something so loud. And I think the whole movie soundtrack, um, you, you know, thing really encapsulates it. That kind of period of 2000 to 2002, it was everywhere. And it was radio-friendly as well, and edited for the radio perfectly as well. Like, if you listen to songs like Down With The Sickness, like, that was apparently, like, a massive radio hit, and it was played on the radio everywhere. But they would have had to do a radio edit, editing out lots of the swearing. Or when he goes, your mother gets up, come on, get down with the sickness. You fucker gets up, come on, get down with the sickness. They'd have had to edit that. So, you know, they went to great lengths to make sure that it was radio-friendly as well. 
even Deftones, if we're to pull it back to Deftones, they themselves had a good spate of movie soundtracks. So Rob, you're dead right about them being on that first Matrix. They were also on Matrix Reloaded. So that song, you know, Lucky You off the self-titled mm. made it onto, I think, you know, if that's Matrix 2 or 3, I can't quite remember which soundtrack, but they were on that. They were on, did any of you ever watch that um, Denise Richards horror movie called Valentine? I don't know if any of you remember it. We're talking like oh, one of those God. kind of teen I, horror movies, which are very popular around then. I do remember that. Yeah. That was, uh, it was like a slasher movie, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's yeah. it. That's it. So, it's, it's, of course, no one ever watched it for the, sl- the slash. They watched it for the, the Denise Richards, right? If I recall correctly, my 14-year-old <laughs> self. And, um, and so, but I, but I do remember one of the things which really got me excited about the movie was when I realised, you know, RX Queen, you know, one of the tracks off White Pony was in the background of one of the killings that, that blew my mind. So Deftones definitely were getting their movie money in, even though one doesn't always think about them immediately. They were in, they were definitely in, they were in a sequel to The Crow. One of their songs called Teething, one of their B-sides made it into that in the late 90s. You, you're, you're, uh, <clears throat> it was like the, the sequel, not the official Brandon Lee one, but I think they got a new one in the late 90s, a sequel. So there's Teething's in that. As Rob says, they're in um, the Matrix soundtracks. They're in Val- uh, Valentine and probably a few other things. So yeah, Deftones did get their movie money, just like the, you know, Drowning Pools and the uh, Stains and people of that time as well. Yeah, they, I'm, I mean, the perfect example of that is that they're in the soundtrack to Queen of the Damned, which the the movie yes! soundtrack to that was put together by Jonathan Davis from Corn, where he wrote even wrote some original material for it, um, which was then performed by other new metal vocalist so i think chester bennington was involved the guy from orgy was involved orgy will come up in a later episode paddy just to let you know <laughs> oh, we'll talk about those guys i can't um, wait <laughs> um which uh, which yeah is a, is a terrible movie absolutely awful but magical new metal soundtrack and yeah deftones are in that too mm, brilliant but yeah gang so that was my um so I guess it's interesting. We all basically encountered Deftones around about the same era reasonably, even if it wasn't through the same channel. You know, Paddy, you were like, because of TV. You know, I was like, you know, I encountered with the FreeBC, but around that same era. So what did you guys do next? And did you work backwards and check out... I know, Paddy, you're saying you weren't even a massive fan really immediately. Did you go and check out Adrenaline and Around the Fur, or did you just stay with White Pony and then move on to the self-titled when that came out? Do you remember which way you kind of went with your fandom? So for me, I a couple of the guys at school had Around the Fur and White Pony, but I don't remember Adrenaline knocking around, so I wasn't as familiar with that. But it was like I'd listen to it in other people's rooms at school. I went to boarding school, right? So you're actually spending a lot of more time around people and absorbing other people's music than you might have otherwise. So actually, I think that was really good. And it was a big part of that was actually knowing that other people were really into it and sort of getting it by osmosis. But then I, yeah, so I was aware of Around the Fur and White Pony. And then when the self-titled album started to come out, like, well, those songs were um, all over Kerrang! and MTV2. So I remember the videos to, like, um, Minerva. And I think, was there a video to Hexagram as well? Yes, yeah, there was. Yeah, so that was that was how I that, that followed that. So I've, I've not listened to Adrenaline as much. So I, I so you're dead right that's it would seem for most people they kind of got white pony and around the fur around about the same time they got that one, two hit. I sort of, um, I worked backwards because I, like I said, I started with white pony. That was my, that was my first metal album. If it wasn't for Slipknot self-titled and then obviously LinkedIn and Papa Roach all came in in that same 2000 year. It was just so fruitful that, you know, because of the Kerrangs of this world introducing you to so many different sounds. But I remember I started with white pony and then one of the bigger boys at school, I didn't go to, I didn't go to boarding school, but one of the bigger lads, um, uh, gave me, uh, cause this was back in the day of CDs. So, you know, when you could burn CDs, 
Nowadays, the young people don't know about burning CDs. They don't know about LimeWire, which we're going to talk about how I got my hands on the yeah. self-title. And they don't know. <laughs> they don't know about. Um, they don't know about burning CDs. But one of the big, the bigger lads uh, burnt a CD of Around the Fur for me. And I think, actually, this I can remember. And again, like I, it's vivid with with Deftones. It's vivid. It's it's not like a like I can just with Around the Fur. I heard. Um, I heard my own summer for the first time. You know, I, I was in year ten. I remember, and a guy just cut this CD for me, and I remember listening to it on a was it like a Discman or a Walkman, which was already already pretty old school to have in two thousand because everyone had moved on to like. Do you remember mini disc players? We talk about this a lot. See, I had one, and Rob never did. But I was a big mini disc guy. I was, and I was obsessed with the fact that you could put in your own track breaks. I thought that was like oh, the most could incredible you? technological so, innovation. So I never had one or a thing, but I remember somehow I got my hands onto someone's discman, and I remember skipping double PE and um, listening to Around the Fur for the first time. And I never got past. This is going. This will sound mad. I never got past the first song because I thought my own summer was so. Good. I know it might sound bonkers. I thought it was so good. It just worked for me. And I just love that. It, it was the riff. It was like what was happening over the, the you know, the, the bridge, the dynamics, even though I'd had White Pony behind me, it, was, it didn't have the production value as a White Pony. And it, it just, I, I remember listening to it straight for a hot hour and 15 minutes, whatever double PU, PU was, like maybe two 45 minute sessions or 45 and a 30. I just had it on repeat on my Discman over and over again. And it just, it rocked my world. I think, I think that's what really compounded it. And I realized this band is genius. You know what I mean? It's not just one of the and other brilliant new metal bands which came out in 2000. This is a band which, you know, just moves me or touches me in a way that other, you know, bands weren't doing at the time. Yeah, that's definitely a song that you want to listen to on repeat, right? And I think that says a lot. And most of their songs, I think I'd say the same thing about that. Most of the, the hits or the ones that I really like, um, which is, you know, Passenger and Digital Bath and um, obviously Back to School. Those what, those are songs I do listen to on repeat. And like once it's done, you want to listen to it again. Whereas with comparable bands of the era, you know, you listen to People Equal Shit once, you need to lie down. And <laughs> even at age 14, I, need, I felt like I needed to lie down after hearing that song. Mm. One another thing, just since we're sticking on around the fur, what I've also realised was that so you guys, everyone I guess listening to this will know because it's one of the hits, "Be Quiet and Drive," and if you're a guitarist, you also know that the kind of the "Be Quiet and Drive" chord structure, or whatever. I'm not going to pretend I'm a music theorist, isn't particularly unique to that song. There are quite a few songs which messed around with that kind of. I think it's you know you know the fret on you know ninth fret whatever it is open string, you know that kind of that sound you know that salts um. Bleed salt sweat. There are a couple of few popular songs which basically use the same chord structure, right? You know that kind of ninth fret, then open chord, ninth fret, then open strings, ninth fret, open strings, whatever kind of sound. But it was only Deftones. Who, I was listening. To, do you guys know the band Chevelle? Like yeah, they, they, I were, do. Yeah. they weren't mega. They, quite like them. They weren't mega mega popular. However, they've got a song which basically is the exact same chord structure as "Be Quiet and Drive," right? Called uh, like it's like called "Push the Pain Down" or something like that. It was one of their hits. And I was listening to it just the other night. It's got about 25 million listens on YouTube, so it's big. Same same chords, right? But doesn't even hit in the same way as Be Quiet and Drive. Be Quiet and Drive just has this dreamy kind of, you know, feel like you're listening to like hum, like kind of shoegaze, but not shoegaze, like kind of sounds. Definitely were just doing stuff with chords that I felt other bands of its era were not doing. And I think that's, you know, that was that's as much apparent in, around the fur as in White Pony for me. 
Yeah, and it only gets more interesting the more you listen to them and the more they go on as well. Like, But yeah, you got the feeling that that guy was getting sounds out of a guitar that had all that kind of heavy low end that the other bands were doing, but it was getting the high end as well and making it really interesting, but also without making it kind of masturbatory either and still having this kind of really fully formed wall of sound. It's just, just great. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that... There's something unique about Deftones, and there's always been something unique about Deftones. Um, and a lot of it does come from that guitar tone and and the songwriting capability that they have, where they've almost got this kind of shoegaze sludge element to it. And then you've got these ethereal vocals coming in um, from Chino. And and the kind of combination of the two is this, this wonderful clash of sounds where... I mean, we all love the heavy Deftones songs, but I think where they work their best is where they mix in that melody with the with the more violent tendencies, whether it's uh, a particularly brutal riff or screaming mixed with more melodic guitar work. And that's where that, that sort of all meshes together incredibly well. And, and credit where credit is due, right? Like, I don't know if you guys re-listened to their back catalogue in advance of this, but I would say, and I, I don't hold them up as particularly visionary in their earliest years, but if you go and listen to Adrenaline, right, which came out, I guess, 95, 96. So it wasn't like, you know, you wouldn't say that they're a forerunner of new metal, but they were certainly in the kind of back half of the first wave. And you listen to some of the ideas, the production's not too hot, uh, best will in the world, but you listen to some of those, so, so Rob, you talk about that shoegazy, that sludge, that kind of, you know, the hints of the more progressive or imaginative ways they were going to take their guitar work. If you go and listen to, to um, Adrenaline, you know, everyone always wants to talk about like, seven words or engine number nine or nosebleed that's where the crunchy when i say derivative i don't mean that in a bad way but very much of the genre and new metal stuff comes in if you guys go back and listen to and i encourage anyone listening to the podcast to go give a listen to uh, you know the last two tracks there's you know Fireal or Furial. i've never worked out how to, to do that and fist which is like the hidden track like it's it's an un- unnamed track at the end and those are so you feel like you're listening to like the, the they're not metal tracks as you'd know it. They're not even what you'd call imaginative passages. You know, some every band like a corn had passages where they're riffing or they're scatting or doing something different. Like these are just these. Are, you know, to me, they're just. It's like it's like Chino crooning over post rock. If you listen to that last track, Fist, and and that's and you have to kind of look at these things also in their context, right? So for someone to do that now isn't particularly imaginative or interesting. For someone to drop that in '95, like something like that last track, which is really um is you know was pretty incredible i have to say like you know they were they were that that shoegazy element was they were pretty faithful to from the outset it's really a quite exciting album i think that is ahead of the curve especially well around that time jonathan davis was just developing his scout thing but it's not like he could do that and he could croon at the same time yeah and i i think you're right and and what is impressive is that you know that they weren't the first band corn corn basically created new metal with, with their debut album but they were still well ahead of the the mainstream new metal movement and and far ahead of a lot of the other bands that you kind of highlight as being those those new metal patriarchs um and and i for me at least i think there's this interesting divergence when it comes to deftones where you can see them sort of running adjacent to bands like Korn or 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 even the early limp biscuit where there's that more hip hop element in there before they go truly testicles out nonsense um and All right keep on rolling, keep rolling baby <laughs> um, but but then they, they, they're sort of going down these different histories almost where 
Deftones, they've got those weird elements on the first album on Adrenaline. And then they carry those over onto Around the Fur. And yes, they've got those very riff-heavy songs, but again, they've got those shoegaze moments. And then when it comes to White Pony, um, that really comes to the fore, where it is an incredibly bold album. Um, they did not want to do anything that could really be considered a, a standout pop hit that they could release as a single. And so they've got this whole movement. And and it came out in 2000, which is just about the beginning of new metal going down the, its glorious, obnoxious path. But instead, you've got this this wonderful, introspective, creepy album that then you know, that that then propels Deftones into the stratosphere, you know, both in terms of commercial and critical success, where they became this incredible uh this incredible artist on the on the metal scene, um, from which they've never really come down from that. And they've always after that moment, they've always stood apart from the crowd, really. Yeah, no, I'd 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 have to agree. And and White Pony would will always stand for me, and it's not just nostalgia. As and it's tw- it's twenty years, gang. I don't know if if you knew this. It's the the twenty year anniversary of um White Pony is going to be in ten days' time on June twentieth, ah. which was really cool. So I've you know I've been following them and you know on Instagram and stuff for their twenty year listening party and anniversaries. So um yeah yeah so so it's it's going to be twenty years since that album. And I will say right now, and I know you know I haven't been the most avid listener of what's happened since then because so many exciting things have happened. Um in metal since but to me really and honestly and i I know this won't be an uh, opinion you guys share but to me i just think that album not only has stood the test of time as in it it sounds good it doesn't sound dated you can put a year to it particularly whilst you could to many other new metal albums but um it is a perfect album and i've yet to hear anything in 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 the alt metal realm what if that even exists really if you can call that a genre today in the last 10 years since i really have not heard it's just a perfect wonderful album of its year to me even though it didn't have quite the cultural shift white pony was like a never mind when it comes to just how perfectly engineered perfectly produced each song working alongside one another with no duds it's it really is that that banger album for me yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I, I've only come to that opinion maybe in retrospect because I didn't love it so much at the time because I was more into like, yeah, Slipknot and Rage Against the Machine and System of a Down and bands that were maybe, yeah, maybe I was a bit of an idiot. Maybe I didn't I didn't realise <laughs> what, what an interesting band they were. But also there was like a school rivalry between like the bands that I was in and some bands that some other guys were in and those guys were really into Deftones. So I was also a bit like Deftones is kind of over there, you know? Oh, interesting. Interesting. I tell you what, though, another thing about, um, d- uh, you know, Defto- about White Pony, which I really love, and I get you guys will certainly appreciate this because you guys are still instrumentalists and really good at recording, producing is, is, is the production itself. And I think in White Pony, and I'm sure Rob will have opinions because you're a man who knows his samples and industrial music and that kind of stuff. What Frank basically their turntablist you know we all laugh about turntablists in new metal right we we all we literally laugh at slip i heard you guys laughing at slipknot because they're ridiculous they have um chris <laughs> fenn and the other guy i can't remember who it is is it sid or, or whatever they have the two guys one who's his just- name is um gimp gimp mask spike man Gimp Mask Spike Man, <laughs> that's, exactly right. Right. that's right. That's it. That's his government name. So that's right. That was what he was christened as. But um, yeah, you have like, you whatever, Mr. Eight and Mr. Seven, whomever it is, and who are just there. You have one who's just doing juggling, who's literally just doing the <laughs> ee, right? And then, you have, and then you have another one who's just there to to do like six, 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 and then play a bit of broken glass. You know what I yeah. mean? Like just play those samples. And then, and, and then you have like, I guess, DJ Lethal was in. Um, 
in a you know DJ Lethal in Limp Biscuit. Then you have an Incubus. You had the guy there. Uh-huh. My, uh, he was great. DJ yeah, he, Life. DJ Life. That's right. Him. Yeah. He, With he's, a y. he's closer. <laughs> that's right. Very of its era was like turning you know like eyes to eyes and s's to z's. <laughs> That's that's how you knew they really were about that life was because yeah. they use Zs at the end to, to pluralize, and um, but what I was gonna say is Frank Delgado's turntablist is is more like a DJ yeah, DJ life esque um, thing in 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 um, White Pony. Those samples that he uses to give those kind of ethereal you know like whale sounds. You have police and cityscape noises in there. You have in digital bath, you have, you know, sound of water and dripping. And I just think when it comes to just probably what I call accents, accents, I think when it comes to new metal albums, one of the things which makes White Pony such a joy to listen to is there are so many accents, you know, these kind of moments or samples which really add, which aren't, you know, like Slipknot, they have their samples and you know the sample's coming, right? Or like DJ Lethal bring it on and the scratching comes. And it's 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 not intrusive because it fits it, but it's just so blunt and and brutal and oh here comes the dj part you know that's when everyone gets down and there's nothing wrong with that and that's part of the joy but i think with deftones it's like it it really behooves the word woven in the sampling was woven in and you didn't get that in around the fur because you know i guess frank wasn't really adding much then he sort of joined the troops in late 98 and he didn't have that certainly in adrenaline when they were just you know like a four piece without the thing so that that's why white penny will always stand up as just so beautiful is because of production engineering i don't know rob you might want to come in because you're really good at this stuff and understanding how you know that those kind of samples can intertwine with guitars yeah and i I think that the perfect way to describe it is that it it's subtle and that subtlety really defines deftones as a whole doesn't it it's it's this um it's all incredibly interwoven and so yeah you you listen to you listen to the samples on um on 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 Slipknot or Limp Bizkit and you're like, oh yeah, okay, that's hitting me over the head like a gold-plated <laughs> brick. Um, but with Deftones, it is all interwoven, and 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 that comes across incredibly well. It's it's a it's a shifting album almost, where where all elements are like that. So you've got the sample work, the, the wonderful work from Frank Delgado, who then you know I think has gone from strength to strength with each with each album, helping to define the sound of the band. Um, but then you've also got. Um, Maynard James Keenan's uh, back and forth vocals on Passenger, which is one of my all-time favourite Deftone songs. It's great that. Um, just the fact that it has the same kind of uh, breathing rhythm as uh, Lose My Breath. It's just like, <laughs> oh, I love it. It's great. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a wonderful song. Um, Passenger uh, my- might be my favourite Deftone song. It's just an incredible riff, but it has that atmosphere that builds through it. And yeah, it's it's brilliant. And then you've also got Knife Party, which is one of my favourite Deftone songs, um, with um, backing vocals by a um, actress called uh, Rodley Gestich, who um, just happened to be working in the studio next to them, <laughs> apparently. Mm. Um, and uh, they're like, "Hey, come on in and do do the guest vocals," and and it adds this really haunting quality to that song. It's a, a wonderful track. Um, and so, yeah, that, and that kind of subtlety was something that was incredibly missing from the other bands at the time. I mean, we're talking about the 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 toxic masculinity of new metal right there where basically every song is i hate you mum slash stepmom <laughs> slash my girlfriend slash girl who won't be my girlfriend um and, and deftones had something incredibly different about them and, and and i think that's part of the reason why it stood the test of time and you know we're going to go on to the the cringe rating scores and i think deftones is going to end up scoring incredibly low because you know their first two albums stand up incredibly well white pody sounds like it could be released tomorrow and still sound fresh um 
And I'm going to throw something controversial out there. Hit, um, hit, hit us. Go. I think their last three albums are just as good as White Pony. Oh, maybe Rob. They're... Oh, Rob. <laughs> maybe they're not as as cohesive and consistent as white pony is because white pony has that wonderful flow from song to song but i think that their last three albums so diamond eyes mm-hmm. uh, koino yokan and gore are wonderful i think they're works of art far and above anything else that 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 mainstream metal has created in the last decade and a half i'm glad you can say that rob because Someone had someone had to be able to hold that opinion in the in the lift, in the millions of people who don't. I, there had to be one person. <laughs> there had to be one person who could hold to that. Well, let's um. I don't even know how. I you know you know when people are just outraged, they just don't know how to attack the problem. I just I just feel I'm I'm like he's just come out with with so much anus in one statement, and I'm trying to now work out where where to attack this. Do I go from the sphincter, or do I start from the top, from the large intestine and work down? Where do we cut and slice that statement? Because what I I would say is, so I'm I'm throwing my weight around a bit, so what I would say is, and I think I'd say it charitably, is it's very hard, and and every band's human, it's very hard for once you drop a magnum opus like White Pony, to pull off another white pony right and i think that that goes for every band so you'd expect every album after it to not be as good so i would never hold them to that standard of i'd expect all those other albums to be white pony-esque but i think i've i would have to say and i say this honestly as, as like a deftones hyper fan and that means taking the rough with the smooth as with all bands that i don't think I'm going to say latter, latter deftones, you know, like when people talk about end state capitalism, like, like, like late stage, late stage capitalism, late stage deftones. I think one of the things which I came to, came to my mind when I looked at their last three albums, and we can, we're, going to, we're going to talk about gore at some point, because at some point we need to argue with each other and make one of us cry just to add some trauma, but we won't go there yet. We won't go to gore yet. What I was going to say is what I'm acutely aware of, and we did talk about this at the top of the show, was bands aging. Right, and I don't mean that in like an ominous way, mm-hmm. but bands get older. Yes. And what you and what I would say is with Deftones as a, as a trend is, and it hit me the other day. It hit me, which is Deftones are no longer this. This is before you know you guys said you're going to invite me on the show, but I just looked at them and I realised Deftones are no longer to my mind, and I'd ne- I would not categorise them as a new metal band or an alt metal band. I'd actually say, and I'm not saying this to be hot, to be controversial. I just say it is a they've trend they've they've to my mind moved into the hard rock or whatever prefix you want to use you know i'm not one of those people who are very particular about it but i'd say they they've trended just with the the um the speed of the music you know it's not like they've gone from thrash to alt folk but you know what i mean i think they've slowed down just as you'd expect right you can't sing that fast you can't play riffs that fast and they've moved very safely into probably what i consider the hard rock category and with that, I think they've lost some. They, they've lost some of their edge, which doesn't mean everything they've produced is stinkers. But I do think what I've found is that as I go towards these last three albums, and we, we, um, that they've lost that they they haven't been as good as glorious as the first three or the first four, because I think the self-titled is a perfect album as well. What what do you like about let let me having having said that, Ryan? Having said that, look, you know, I don't like how they've trended away from what I'd consider metal. Or you know those metal roots, or the speed of what they used to do, and the heaviness. What is it you've enjoyed particularly across those three albums, Rob? Well, I I personally think that they've they become slightly less experimental in terms of going towards electronica. 
um, which I think was was kind of a um, kind of a problem with Saturday Night Wrist, which is an album that I still really like. I, I I like every Deftones album, but Saturday Night Wrist, I think in particular, suffered from um, desperately trying to do something like. Um, crosses which is the eventual project that, that came from chino moreno which I, I also like but there's this there's this very real clash in that album between sort of oh we want a bit of electronica in here let's do a song that's kind of just trip hop fine whereas previously they'd woven all of that in quite easily and i think after that there was more cohesion in terms of weaving it into the songs. so uh diamond eyes for instance you've got songs like um you've seen the butcher which has that kind of uh, that that sort of throbbing electronica element to it, alongside that slower doom esque metal quality. Um, and I wouldn't say, I personally wouldn't say, apart from a handful of songs here and there, that they become a hard rock band. Um, I think there's elements like that. So Tempest off Koino Yokan, mm-hmm. yep, sounds sounds a lot like a, a a tool song or a perfect circle song. Um, but equally, you've got songs on there like Poltergeist or Leathers, which I, I think Leathers sounds like something that could have quite easily come off um, come off White Pony, for instance. Um, it's it's really got that kind of quality, and I think that's the same with Gore, where you've got yeah, you've got songs like Prayers Triangles, or you've got songs like Hearts Wires, um, but then you've also got songs like Doomed User on there, which are very very heavy. Um, so yes, maybe they're a bit slower. Maybe they've gone more down the sludge route and less down the thrash route. But for me, at least. I'm a man who likes a groove in a riff. And so if it slows down a bit, I'm, I'm all for it. Get off that snare, get on the toms, drop, drop it down a tuning. I, I want to, I it. want to see that sticker on your car. You know, <laughs> get, get, what was it? Get off, get off the, what was it? Get off the, was it? Get off the snares and get on the toms. Did you say, or get off the yeah, crash, get off the crash yeah. ride and get on the bass, double pedal, double bass, whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, I, I prefer it a little bit slower, a little bit, darker and deeper and i think whereas there was that friction i think that friction's kind of gone away a little bit and and maybe that's part of the reason why you don't like it is you liked that that real sort of challenging element to it but for me at least i think they found this good groove um and i think it's still still dangerous still weird but in a way that i think harkens back to the kind of cohesion and quality and and clarity that they had with white pony I think that, and you stumbled upon it, I think I just dislike Groove. I think I'm anti-Groove. <laughs> I think the more I think about it, I resent Groove in all its forms. Unless, unless, it's, unless this is the, the funk, the, you know, pod, pod funk, then I don't want to hear about Groove in my metal. I, do, I just want to have dropsy, smashed, syncopated, that's what I need, you know what I mean? But um, so I, I guess, yeah, okay, that slow down into Groove, which I, which I don't resent because i can respect it within what it is and where they are themselves what i will say though rob and i don't know how how much you keep up with you know the band themselves what they talk about you might you're probably aware that or you might be aware that you know so stefan carpenter is you know the guitarist of deftones he himself was quite vocal about you know if you talk about the creative process behind gore there was like a kind of um tug of war between you know chino leading leading things and wanting things to go in this direction and him finding it quite an incoherent experience writing riff for it you know they weren't in the same place for a start they did things kind of quite remotely and so but one thing which has excited me about where deftones could go next and, and rob you may consider this a step back but i th- i i have a real inkling that whenever they do drop their next album it's being mixed now and i guess things are hard with coronavirus we're going to see probably what johnny wants to see a bit more which is perhaps a slightly less sophisticated and more 
chug chug chuggery output because I think Stefan's going to come back in. You know, because you know they're, they're chuggers. They're not chuggers like Limp Biscuit, low low IQ chugging, but they're chuggers nonetheless. They're, they're the thinking man's chugger, and, and I, I do th- I do think we will see less of that kind of sophisticated kind of groove, um, kind or space rock. You know, these kind of things they were dabbling in. To, to a lesser or greater degree in, in gore. And I think we probably will see a return to like a, a rockets, you know, I think in a new album coming up, I think there's going to be a big rocket skates esque kind of, you know, rocket skates engine number nine, even if, cause I suspect there's a case of, they just want to show they can still do it. You know, even if Chino's heart isn't in there because he was never that kind of bullish, you know, yeller ultimately, you know what I mean? I do think, I do think, I think they've still got one more good chuggy around the fur esque type album or self-titled hexagram esque sound album in them before they do descend into rob's spiral of groove (laughs) (laughs) i don't necessarily want them to just have that space rock element and i think i think the space rock element of gore is probably the weakest part um but what is interesting is that they are um reuniting with terry date yes who did um who did adrenaline who did around the fur um and who did white pony that's right um i think he did the self-titled as well didn't he uh Um, i guess i perhaps so yeah maybe I don't know about yeah. that. Um, so, so I am very excited about that to see them reuniting with with their producer. Um, I think that's going to be very interesting. Um, but, but for me, at least, I think you know um, Stephen Carpenter. Yeah, there was this big clash between him and Chino Moreno on 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 um, Gore, and initially him not getting getting to grips with it. But apparently, you know, they did get into it in the end, and I, I think that that. That that also kind of happened with White Pony, where they they had that clash with their label, and I think mm. that there's there's been this political element to Deftones in terms of them pushing away from what labels want them to do. You know, from the sounds of it, they're still furious about Back to School being put onto the second, <laughs> which second we're going to talk about in a moment. Pony. We're going to talk about Back to School yeah. in a moment. I did. They're, I'm glad you brought that up. They're genuinely angry with themselves that they wrote a massive hit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I unironically, I unironically hand on heart and i think that's how i approach new metal in general is i've never felt the need to pretend that i'm better than what it is like i've just enjoyed it i like a crunchy riff and and that's it and this guy's talking about his penis and that's it i i'm i'm here for that I, you know i haven't eaten it's yet. just one of those days it's, it's just one of those days well um so um yeah so what i was gonna say is i unironically even though chino hates it i imagine some aspect of the fan base dislike it i unironically think and Again, this is what compounded the Deftones mythology for me was watching the Back to School video on Kerrang! TV, right? So I didn't have cable, but for some reason, you know, Kerrang! came with like a VHS or I ordered it. And again, that was... Because you've got to remember back in 2000, you didn't even see bands, right? Like you didn't see them on TV really, unless like, I don't know if MTV was a thing on UK TV or readily available. I never had Sky. But my first video that I ever saw of them was um well that's actually technically not true if you remember on um if you ever got white pony on cd do you remember that they used to do these kind of short mini movies on there it was like a thing yeah. in the 2000s yes, used to get yeah. used to, and this this is what i mean when kids these days miss out on all this stuff because you when you got white pony or, or the back to school ep or um anything in that era you got mini movies like these kind of pre-release seven minute concept films which maybe might have a few videos or like, you know, like had a few, like a band five minute clip on it or whatever. But my point was, I know you never really see the band, even on the White Pony EPK, I think they call it. There was a seven minute movie. I don't know if you guys have ever watched it. It came with White Pony when you put the album in and if you had like a CD playing PC back in the day. And it was like a seven minute 
film. It was like a dystopian film where everyone walked around wearing masks. And then like these, they're these like mask people having sex. I don't know if you ever saw it. And then, and in between it, they play, um, you know, like RX queen change, all these kind of things. And that was it for seven minutes. That's all I ever saw of the band were like these kind of one minute, 30 clips in between this kind of seven minute weird dystopian warehouse film. Then I saw back to school. That was the first time I saw them as a band, really, you know, for four minutes singing, cut cut to American high school students windows do you remember when he does his scream and, and the windows blast out and and he's you know he's, he's tearing up the, the the headmasters everything about that song the ethos the energy the fact it's not weird at all 32 year old men are pretending to be 18 okay fine <laughs> you know to me everything about it was um i really think it was brilliant even though they wrote that song completely just on the labels you know behest I thought it was brilliant and that that, that again compounded the deftones genius to me that even when they're writing stuff out of spite and it only takes them like half an hour to create that a pop hit as you said paddy it's still brilliant <laughs> i i remember yeah as i said the first video of theirs i saw was my own summer but then suddenly that song was on kerrang all the time and we got i think cable tv around 2002 three and yeah those obviously that was the self-titled album was about to come out there were other videos coming into the rotation but that's the iconic deftones image to me is gino like standing on the desk there like rapping at the camera and going like yeah fuck school man <laughs> but then i knew they also had songs like digital bath and passenger where like the the riffs were actually really really interesting and it was as you say this different kind of sonic tapestry but as you say it's it was too subtle for 13 14 year old me <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I, I i also really love back to school um unapologetically i don't care that the band doesn't like it i'm here for it um it's like placebo with um oh what's the song nancy boy where they yeah. just like play it really reluctantly and angrily at their own shows because because um it's do you know what infuriates me about placebo i'm so sorry rob but it's it's like my um it's like my party talking piece you know what incenses me about placebo is every time they write an album every time but their first four albums they always do this thing where they write two perfect songs like the first two openers then they have a dud third song then they have a brilliant fourth song it really annoys me every time if you look at any any of their songs you know black market music or any of their albums the first four songs there are three 10 out of 10s and then there's just one weird dud at number three bugs me to heck carry on oh I, I'm sorry. I need to check this out now because uh, the difficult uh, I, third song. I haven't listened to 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 Placebo in a very long time. Mm. Um, so let's let's have a little look and see if you're right. I, I, I was just going to say that um, their Deftones are referred to by people as the Radiohead of metal, which I wanted to bring up because I know that Paddy hates Radiohead. Like, <laughs> oh yes, that. of course. They, yeah, they do call them that, don't they? Yeah, I, yeah. Carry on, um, carry on, Rob. Which, which I can kind of understand because they're a band that are interesting and challenging and generally do things that aren't necessarily easy to listen to. Um, but, but there is that one parallel that they both hate the songs that have made yeah. them incredibly popular, which I think is great where, you know, Creep is a song that, that Radiohead despise. Um, and yeah, Deftones, again, they, they, they were reluctant to even release, um, back to school hated the fact that it was added into white pony um and and i kind of respect that about them because you know that they they are a band that's in charge of their own destiny in terms of the kind of music they want to create and i think there's something special about that yeah i've never bought in on the whole um radio head of metal moniker either 
if except if if only for the fact that both bands both bands are rock bands who want to be dance bands apart from that <laughs> apart, apart from that right you know despite their be- despite you know their worst instincts they want to be uh, uh dance bands ultimately but yeah i never went ho- entirely in on that comparison either wasn't too convinced by it but um but you know there there is that kind of i guess there is that genius genius there that radio are radiohead genius are they that good no no, they're not. <laughs> De- Deftone, Deftones are much better than Radiohead. Yeah, Sorry, oh, yes, yeah, yeah. No, no, I um, entirely agree. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I like Radiohead a lot more than Paddy does. Um, Johnny, but, do, have you heard me well, talk about my thing? Like, you have a sig- thing about placebo. My similar thing is with Radiohead, which is that they've got about four or five really brilliant, incredible, amazing songs. And then the rest is just like complete nonsense. But all my all my favorite Radiohead songs don't have any guitar. This is what I mean. Like if you listen, so, so in fact they only have one good song. I mean I'm not trying to even be trolly or annoyed. <laughs> but it, it, since we're here and we're landing here, and you know I'd like to think that you, you're going to, I'd like to think that you're going to have a listenership that one day will complain about this episode on Reddit. They're only they're only good song. Literally, and I'm not. That's ju- from all that we've made. They're br- they're only, and I'm not saying that they're terrible as a band, but they're just they're just inconsequential. It, to my mind, right, is the only good album, the only good song they have is Idiotech on Kid A. That's brilliant. I, I remember I remember again, I mean, I was just watching that on like, you know, this Glastonbury stage back in 2000, 2001, you know, watching that song. That's brilliant. So yeah, only one good song in their case. So the two, the two, two controversial statements that, that uh, Rob has to go and analyze <laughs> now is does placebo only have <laughs> are their first four songs always got one dud in there in track three? And then is a, I guess you have to kind of test scientifically the Radiohead question. The RQ, the RQ <laughs> is Idiotech. The IQ is Idiotech, the only good Radiohead. Uh, maybe that's for your third podcast. Your different, you know, your third podcast can just be called the, Edi- the Idiotech podcast. We just talk, <laughs> we just talk we, about we, it. We listen, we listen to one second of that song for, for however many episodes Oh my God, lasts, that's so like that podcast Star Wars minute. Do you know, there, yeah. there are probably just these kind of Radiohead dweebs who really would do that where they, you just break down one second of one of the songs every single day and, and you, just, you just dial in for an hour to hear someone talk about the one second of a Radiohead song. You're saying that in jest, but that is genuinely exactly how Radiohead fans are. <laughs> and they, Radiohead fans always wear jumpers. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. How can you tell? Cold. How can you tell when a Radiohead fan is on holiday with you? It's that one guy if they, in the middle always... of the Caribbean wearing <laughs> a big old jumper. Yeah, are oh, they? Yeah, definitely. Always, always wear. It's because Radiohead's music is so cold and grey that they've just got they got chills uh, all the time. Fair enough. <laughs> Do you know? I bet Tom York is loving um, lockdown. This is like his ideal state. He's been singing about lockdown for about twenty two years now, and it's finally happened. And you know what? Even now, he's not happy. Even though he's brought this upon us, just through singing about it for 22 years, it sort of acted as like this kind of massive kind of Lovecraftian curse. And the whole earth has now just absorbed his lyrics and become lockdown. And he's not happy still. What, what makes Tom happy? Another discussion for Idiotech, your third podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, we could just have a, a podcast where Rob goes to varying lengths to try and convince me that Radiohead aren't an infuriating and stupid band. I, I would be fully on board with doing that podcast, Paddy. But let, let's teach Paddy to like Radiohead podcast. I have, I have, I have one song, an episode, to, to try and convince you that Radiohead are good. Do you remember, um, last thing on this, and we'll definitely get back to Stephanie's, do you remember, um, do you remember there's that trend of bands, like ska bands and reggae bands, just reggae-fying, like, do you remember Radio Dread, which was like that whole oh, album God. of Radiohead yeah. covers, but it just had loads of horn. 
Yeah, that was the um, that was the Easy Star All Stars, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, that's the um, Easy Star All Stars. Did all these? Um, yeah, they did all these covers, didn't they? In those they kind of did, scar fashion. Uh, yeah, yeah Dub yeah. Side of the Moon. Yes. Uh, Radio Dread. Um, uh, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Dub Band. I think that's was the great. other one they did. Oh, very good, very good. Um, yeah, and, that that was that was something lovely. On that note, do you are you guys familiar with? Um, I'm kind of gently trying to pull this back to definite. Do you remember that there was another cover band? It was a, a quartet called the Vitamin Quartet, and they're they're a string quartet who do covers of rock bands. And they've um, you know, so for example, like Everlong. If you've ever heard the Ever uh, the Everlong song by Foo Fighters done with strings, it's done by them, Vit- Vitamin Quartet. Yeah. So they've done entire nice. Deftones albums with um just with string sections. It's been pretty neat. Nice. Mm, I didn't know they'd done Deftones. I'd have to check that out. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. They have. There's a whole. They've done several of their albums now. So yeah, translates pretty well. Oh, I must listen to that. Um, But Deftones. Have any? Have either of you guys ever seen Deftones live? I have. So as a, um, it's incredible. You'd expect with someone like me who's who who just you know lives and breathes this band. Um, including late stage Deftones. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the thing. I hope, I hope like they have two more decades left. I'm sure they have it in them. So it's really mid stage. Um, Cretaceous period. Jurassic period. <laughs> um, the Cambrian layer Deftones, right? The bit which, like, we'll <laughs> discover in time. Anyway, joking aside. Um, to my shame, I only saw them for the first time in 2016, which is bonkers. I missed. And this, this is it. This is, was an iconic gig. I don't know what, if you guys, Paddy, I guess you were in London because you're a Chessington guy and Rob, I don't know. But in 2000, Deftones came to London, Brixton Academy, on their back to school tour. And they brought, this, this was a huge for New Metal. And I think it was probably the biggest thing that could have happened in New Metal outside of Reading Festival. They came with Taproot and <laughs> Linkin Park. This oh, was in, oh, wow. This was huge, huge to the point where I was talking to sounds a bit unseemly i was talking to a guy on instagram about it and he was like i have photos from that you know, everyone can remember gigs in generically oh yeah i've seen placebo oh yeah i saw spine shank lols <laughs> <laughs> but like, in, or like but you know what i mean or you know i remember where i was when i saw raging Speedhorn or whatever right but as in literally you talk to anyone in london i promise you everyone knows about that brixton academy gig it was that and muse when muse were on their plug-in baby tour were the two big brixton academy gigs of my teenage generation and so I miss them. And to this day, it pains me, the fact that I miss, because they were, they kind of brought along Linkin Park at this time. Hybrid Theory had just dropped, but, you know, they weren't quite on the ascendancy yet, if you know what I mean. They weren't in the popular psyche. And then Taproot were like the kind of second 11 that they brought along <laughs> as well, just to do their thing <laughs> as well, right? But as in, that was a huge show. And to my shame, I, I either got tickets, but didn't get tickets, or I can't remember, my, it's a haze, but I never made it to that. And so the first time I saw them was at Ali Pali, for four years ago now which wow. is brilliant. on, on the go tour on the go tour it's on the go tour it was got on the go tour so yeah so i i have um i have found a review from the herald of the deftones linkin park and taproot tour when it came to glasgow um let me just read to you a couple of um a couple of uh, sentences from this um so uh, to begin with this for the uninitiated is new metal not spell N-U. Like, this is how early it is. Wow. Um, oh my god. 10,000 teenagers in uniform black carrying a combined length of at least 50 miles of wallet chains in a huge under-facilitated shed. <laughs> um, uh, Did Peter Bradshaw write this? 
definitely, definitely. Um, apparently, Taproot have the best singer of the evening in Stephen Richards, and their set is both powerful and melodic. Stephen Richards? Yeah, that is the name Sounds of like the... someone from accounting. <laughs> <laughs> Which, ironically, lots of new male singers have now become, because, of course, they're all middle managers now, a lot of them in their mid-40s. <laughs> Steve, yeah. Stephen Richards is a good one, though. He always gets in the tees. Yeah, oh, um, yeah, he does. He always does a whip round when anyone's leaving. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, everything about Linkin Park smacks of a record company's attempt to create a commercial metal band in the slipstream of Limp Bizkit. It is a well-executed fusion of the Beastie Boys and Rage Against the Machine. Um, but for all the catchy tunes and infectious energy, it is essentially dumb and vacuous. Wow. Harsh. Do you, do you know what since... Um, oh, sorry, yeah. Uh, and then of the three, Deftones have the greatest artistic merit. Tina Marino has the presence of a bona fide rock star, is what it says. Um, so, yeah. So it's interesting seeing those kind of the first instances of, of new... New metal, or new metal, as it's described here. <laughs> the patient, the patient zero of new metal. What's that talk? <laughs> exactly, what exactly. I will say is, Rob, you've just reminded me. Right, so one of my favourite, favourite ever moments in music journalism. I can't remember if it's from like Blabbermouth or Drowned in Sound. Was a review, but of of um Diamond Eyes. Literally, it was a five word review. That's all it was. Chino still a sex addict. That was my favourite music journalism. I, I've got two moments of music journalism which I love. That one was just five words. You know, I remember because you know we hadn't, you, at this point people hadn't heard about them for like you know six years since Saturday Night Wrist. And this person just wrote. I can't remember if it was like Blabbermouth or Drowned in Sound or one of those kind of online kind of rags or whatever. It was just Chino still a sex addict, and that was my favourite. Um, you know, write up ever of, a, of an album. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> As I think, but you think so. You've kind of got me back, and I know you guys keep touching upon this repeatedly. Was the fashion of the era? Did you guys get pulled into the fashion, or were you skaters, or did you come? You know, all the other trappings around Deftones. If you think about it, so the baggy jeans, or the chains, or the the gelled hair, or the Vans shoes. Did you guys get pulled into that, or did you have your own style going on in two thousand, two thousand one, two thousand two? I was a Vans guy for sure. I had a lot of Vans and some baggy jeans. I don't think I ever had a wallet chain, but I had like a um, one of those belts that had like those triangle studs on them in a pattern. Do you know what I mean? I had I had one of those. So yeah, I, was, I know. I was big exactly. into my yep. belts mm-hmm. and baggy jeans. Yeah, and no, I was a I was a Converse man. Oh, um, very good. And then I had some baggy jeans. I, I also had one of those vaguely studded belts and then just a, a, a drawer full of black band t-shirts. And that was, that was it for me. Nice. I remember one, I think one of the things is one of the things which I, which was always very striking was, is I never people and people always would say to me is I never dressed like the music I listened to. So I never, ever, I never, I never in my life ever had, um, you know, intentionally, obviously baggy cut was just the nature of jeans in that era or whatever, but I never had like, um, you know, like the Vans or like the studded belt or like the black fingernails or like the baggy band hoodie more than all my clothes were from Debenhams. I wasn't very cool in year nine and 10 anyway. Right. Like I still, all my clothes are from Debenhams now. So I haven't improved anyway, but I remember I, I never really went down there. I was a skater though. So I wasn't like the posers who did. So I did have skate shoes. That was, but that was, that was purely functional, not for the aesthetics. Hey, you can buy skate shoes in Debenhams. Yes, People don't know this, but can you? Oh, right. Wow. There's a thing, but no, I never, so I never really got pulled. I never looked like, I guess what one might think a Deftones fan or a new metal fan would look like in that era. But well, here's a question for you guys. What was Deftones, what's Deftones' legacy? What do you think, 
I mean, again, they haven't gone. I keep on like pronouncing them dead at the scene prematurely with late stage and all this stuff. But what do you think you could? Can you can you guys think of bands in their wake which you either enjoyed or don't like, or ones you associate with them? So Deftones adjacent. Um, they have more of an influence on emo bands than I think a lot of people realise. What think of not not like early stage emo, like um, sort of Fugazi and that kind of era where it was harder and people didn't really realise it was emo. But what was popularly called emo, which followed new metal as a less popular but still quite big genre, a lot of those bands loved Deftones but were doing their thing because they were part of a scene. And if you look at bands like um, Far. They they were really really heavily influenced by Deftones and they sort of wound their way into that scene. Um, I, and for me at least, I I think there's a few bands that I really love that are clearly influenced by Deftones even into the modern day. So um, a band that I really love is a band called Tiger Wine who've just released their second album, and their first album in particular had that kind of buzzsaw quality that early Deftones had. Um, another example, which is a, a lot heavier um, and really ties into the heavier side, is a band called Loathe who are from the UK. Um, and again, they released a great metal album earlier in the year, and you can really, um, you can really kind of hear that um, that Deftones groundwork there in the way that they put their songs together. Um, and I, I think it's really impressive that you know, perhaps more than any other band of the era, they've had this impact um, on 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 these on these bands that are coming through. Whereas, you know, I don't think many bands would really come out and say, oh yeah, Limp Bizkit really helped to find. <laughs> yep, I agree, I I'd agree, I agree, yeah. Um, and, and then you've got other bands like, you know, you've got Thursday or, or, um, yeah. Yeah, they, or, that's... or At The Drive-In, that kind of stuff. Thrice as well, I think there's clearly some Deftones influence there. Um, so yeah, again, I think that kind of emo and post-hardcore scene really kind of fed off what Deftones put together as well. Let me tell you a band, maybe not a band who are influencing, because I guess their contemporaries will be on different sides of America at the time, but people always lump them together. And to this day, I'm not sure I'm convinced. Glassjaw. Everyone, I don't know if you're on the, there's a forum, there's a Deftones forum. I'm really showing how far down, you know, the Deftones fandom I go. There's a Deftones forum called uh, Sharing Lungs, sharinglungs.net, um, from one of their lyrics, um, Crenshaw Punch, one of their lyrics on Sharing Lungs. And um, point being is um, there's a huge, there's a sub, forum as in it's you know 50 percent of it is um you know death and stuff and then and then there's like a form related to it or which is all glass jaw fans and just broadly i don't know if you guys hear this or ever encountered this or were aware of this but a lot of people will talk in the same breath of um gl- uh, glass jaw and deftones in the same in the same category and I, i've never been con- so i don't know if you'd agree with that or, or even heard people speak about people in the same terms I talk about daryl from um glassjaw and, and chino in the same realm yeah i've i number one would not even lump them together in stylistically for a start because you know one's very clearly new york hardcore and one's you know that 90s i guess screamo heritage i guess but also yeah I don't, I, i've never heard it i've never heard it or been wholly convinced but have you are you guys familiar with that would you have heard can you see similarities that maybe i can't see i don't know if you guys had your um What's their album called? The Worship and Tribute. Wor- well, Worship and Tribute was their second one. What's their first one, which had like um, oh, what's their f- you know tribute? No, Worship and Tribute was their second one, wasn't it? What was the what was the first one yeah, called? Oh, um, everything you ever wanted. You to know, know about, about silence. silence. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, I, you listen to that, and then you listen to like White Pony around the fire. I, I don't hear it. I don't know if you guys. Have you, have you guys done every, everything's a, a question there's the, there's the radiohead question have you guys done the gq not gentlemen's quarterly the glass jaw question the glass the glass jaw question no, we haven't even mentioned glass jaw on the show have we i think that's because no, no. again there's kind of more towards 
um, hardcore and early emo stuff, isn't it? That's a little bit further away, uh, sort of at arm's length from new metal, isn't it? But we could talk about them on the show, couldn't we? I think we could, definitely, yeah. Um, there, there's some similarities there, I think. Um, but equally, mm, I kind of agree with you, Johnny, that uh, they, they come from very different roots. And although there's, you, you can kind of talk about them in terms of having those different um, influences and, 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 and them both sounding very different from the other bands that came around, came out in the same kind of era as them. But I wouldn't necessarily put them as, as bands that are truly interwoven in terms of, of, of where they stand. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure. Not sure. I agree as well. Yeah. I t- tell you what though, just to pull those two together, here's something interesting, just a slightly more serious route, but it'd be good to see you guys how kind of pass this out. Rob, you did touch on earlier that in new metal, there is a kind of certainly a strain of like kind of hyper misogynistic kind of chat or certainly lad chat and you know, the way they approach things. And you, one of the things you said a little earlier in the show was about how Deftones had kind of eluded that when you think about their peers and what they were singing about versus what Deftones were doing. And the reason why I thought about this was is Daryl from Glassjoy, if you listen to everything um, you want to know about silence, he's recanted a lot of lyrics. A lot of the stuff he says there in, in that in that album are, are quite horrific if you really, really listen to the lyrics as a thing. What I was going to say, though, is you said that Deftones had managed to circumnavigate the whole kind of, you know, and you know anti-women chat and that kind of violence against women chat however if you and i guess i wanted to take it up before but we'll bring it out there it's not like they don't have that kind of sexualized violence in there and i'm not saying it's problematic and i'm not saying it has to be addressed but it's i it's not these aren't themes you listen to white pony and it's largely about you listen to digital bath that's about you know like i guess killing a woman with a toaster yeah. i'm not i'm not necessarily because she's a woman i don't know if that's for better or worse but you know it's, but you know there's that there's um you know in in mx which was in around the fur which is one of the ones which has like another female voice singing on it. There's like, you know, 30 nights of violence. I'm not going to try and sing. So they're, they're not a band, which I'd say have covered themselves. It depends what you think they're doing in their lyrics, right? In, 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 in someone like a Daryl, he's literally singing about his hatred of women and how he wants to F them and all these kind of things. You know, I can't get on board with even in my most hyper <laughs> testosterone younger days. Like, it was never for me, but Deftones have definitely addressed and talk about those things. Do you do you think do you think there's a way when it comes to men singing about sexualized violence? Um, thinking this is you know this doesn't have to be well realized, but it's it's a faithful to what Deftones do. That there's different ways of addressing it without it being celebratory or being you know oikish. Because Deftones yeah. do Deftones do definitely talk about violence against women. Now maybe it's my broad thrust. I'm not saying it's a mainstay. <clears throat> but do you think they do it differently? And that's why they haven't been tarred with the same brush as the rest of the new metal gang. Yeah. And I, I completely agree. And, you know, um, like I mentioned, knife party is one of my favorite songs of theirs. And, uh, that is, uh, interesting song. <laughs> if you, if you, if you read, uh, read into it. Um, but I think they, they do it in more of an obs- observational way. Yes, it's yep, it's this agreed. kind of detachment mm-hmm. that, that sits alongside. Uh, I, I don't want to, cross media here but it almost feels like um the way that chuck paul Lannick writes about violence in his books there's this detachment and this kind of critical look at it whereas when you hear fred durst talking about being fred durst um, <laughs> Doing it all for the nookie. uh it feels a lot seedier whereas with death tones <clears throat> new metal's always creepy to listen to when you listen to the lyrics and the difference is with death tones you get the sense that they want you to feel creeped out by it 
a bit like Slipknot. If you listen to the lyrics of Slipknot, you get the sense that they want you to feel unnerved by what they're doing. <clears throat> Whereas with some bands, you get that sense that actually they want you to embrace the message that they're putting in. And I, I, I think that's where that that kind of that that split happens. Is are, are you meant to be celebrating it and celebrating being this this definitely a cool guy who's balding and wearing a red baseball cap um <laughs> or are you meant to be unnerved and be, be be disturbed by the lyrics that they're putting forward but you never got the impression with deftones that they were doing anything for shock value nothing they ever did had the, the schlockiness of a lot of bands of the era you know they weren't getting up there in masks and hitting baseball bat, like flaming baseball bats on tin cans and shouting, get the fuck out of my face, people equal shit. You know, the, so if, if there was a thematic crossover in the lyrics, you got the feeling that, as you said, it was more like it was, there was something more like they were trying to take a critical look at something whilst also operating within this paradigm of these are the kind of lyrical themes of the day. What I do find, just talking about that and, and the themes, <clears throat> I don't know how much time we have together, gang, but it's the last thing is that one of the things I've been very, well, one of the things which now I think about is Chino did do angst, right? Does do angst. He does do angst. He does do... I guess for male fragility, he does do he does all the kind of things which perpetuate the rest of the new metal scene. But to my mind, he never um he just it it was it was never done in a way which was very mawkish or weepy. You know what I mean? Like he is vulnerable. He does sing about you know like disassociation and you know this town doesn't feel right. He does sing about you know broken relationships and all these kind of things. But I think you know if we're talking about like the genius of Deftones and how they've avoided many of the pitfalls other less i guess let's say sophisticated for want of a better word bands are he can both embody many of these things you know hurt passion lust fragility sadness loneliness without it being too mawkish i think that's another part he, they don't have the angst of like a glass jaw you know what i mean glass jaw is just straight angsty my girlfriend doesn't hate me now i hate all women i think <laughs> you know if we just if we have to miss them against their peers i think you know like rob kind of touched upon is they can talk about these issues male violence or or, or whatever without it being kind of embodying them if that makes sense they, they're like te they're teflon when it comes to these difficult issues you could never tar them with the the gurning hype boy brush and yet they've come up with engine number nine you know what i mean or teething so yeah they're good i'm, I'm keep up the good work deftones even in your late stage you've done well even though even though johnny now hates your music <laughs> no, <laughs> i don't know that's, that's no 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 that's that's that that i i, I resent it i don't hate it <laughs> a big difference. You're just yeah. there saying I'm disappointed in you. I'm just, yeah, exactly. I still love you. It's like having you're like, you're, it's like you're having still an unsightly boy. Exactly. It's like having an unsightly child. Like you know, objectively and dispassionately, they're ugly, but you still gotta love them. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the same thing. No, no, no. But no, no, they are cool. I can and I um. Do you know? I can. I cannot wait to see with what they come up with next. And they remain my favourites. Do you know what I mean? They are my go-to band. I don't have cause to. You know, there's still lots of great music being churned out, but. I um they remain you know my favorites through thick and thin and they've also benefited from I think they've benefited from they're just not too big on social media which re retains their mystique whilst there's still a lot of concert footage they're not churning out tweets you know Chino's rubbish at Twitter you know all the things you know because one of the things which make great bands so brilliant are their lack of accessibility once you know that they're real people once you know that they're not as stylized as their band photos make them look like or the cool orchestrated videos they lose a bit of their mystique but chino and the guys and, and stefan and and frank and and well sergio now or chi before have um 
you know, maintained a real mystique, which keeps them interesting to me. I, th- I think it's really nice that they have had that kind of ambiguity on on, on social media. Um, um, uh, obviously, my my favorite artist, which I'm sure you're both aware, is Nine Inch Nails, and they have that similar kind of thing where their message is very clever, and they don't both Deftones and Nine Inch Nails they don't go out of their way to do interviews all the time. They're not constantly posting things on social media, um, and that allows them to have this kind of um, ethereal quality almost this 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 um inscrutable essence which still makes them cool even though now they are middle-aged men um whereas you compare them to and they don't really fit in new metal because they were kind of in the butt rock era that came after new metal but the band the band trapped who had that one song headstrong and nothing else um i don't know if you've witnessed <laughs> brutal if, i don't know if you've witnessed the wonder that is trapped's um twitter page nah no 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 it is basically incredibly dumb political nonsense constantly. Um, <laughs> where most recently they've tried to start a fight with Tom Morello, and <laughs> he's not having any of it. It's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Um, and uh, and yeah, so so they they are the best worst users of Twitter since David Draymond from Disturbed. Who I I, I miss I miss him on Twitter every day. Um, I, I, I miss David Draymond's Twitter account constantly, but at least Trapped is here to give me the same kind of high you that know, David Draymond you, used to give you, me. You know what they say? You've kind of made me just think of like kind of a bit of a witticism. You know how they always say, never meet your, is it never meet your fans or never meet your, your never meet your heroes? Yes, in, never meet your heroes. I think in our case, it's like never tweet your heroes. Like once you realize what these people are like, <laughs> and, and, and when you go beyond like the 40 minutes, 12 songs with someone, you start to see what they're about it kind of the, those same songs self same songs lose a bit of their um mystique you know yes yeah um yeah definitely uh, you know would would you spend more time with this person sitting alone in a room talking to them than listening to their album and you know maybe that's a message you can take away about whether you really want to delve too much into people's lives when they an an art creator you know you want to I, I could talk all day about the nature of parasocial relationships online um, but by having a lack of a online presence in that way and not needing them to still maintain their fan base, I think that's a good way to actually keep people um, keep people intrigued and keep people as fans without them becoming overbearing in, in constant messaging. Mm. I miss the days when you had to wait to buy an issue of Kerrang! that had a picture of the minute to find out what they looked like. <laughs> <laughs> Those were the days, my friend. The Kerrang, the Melody Maker, like I was saying at the kind of top of the show. Those, those, those were, those were the days. Rob, I feel at this point you need to come in now with your what was it called? Your new metal algorithm. Give us oh, the, yeah. the new metal algorithm. Right, fire okay. up the computer. I you, so, uh, yeah, I hope you have got like a pen and pad so we can toss up the scores. So yes, I have. I we don't we don't need a pen and pad. I type them straight into the supercomputer. Oh, gives me that. a printout. It takes four- up an entire wall of my house. <laughs> just this giant supercomputer because this is incredibly complex. It literally that um, literally sounds like exactly the kind of thing Trent Reznor would have, like a giant supercomputer <laughs> yeah. which is bigger. Well, than fun, funnily <laughs> enough, my buddy Trent, he's a big fan. Yeah. Um, of this podcast, obviously. Um, <laughs> he listens every week. He, he listens every week. Um, he's got in touch and has said, oh, can I sample the supercomputer to use on the next <laughs> And I've said, no, Trent, make your own samples. Don't be lazy. <laughs> um, anyway, right. So uh, the, first, uh, the first aspect of this is riff quality. So out of 10, what would you like to see for Deftones? Oh, since, in my opinion, because I have to be really honest, if, if we're up, 
listen, I'm going to say 10, right? Because riff quality isn't their 10 at all times. It's that, do they still have it? Are they delivering 10 out of 10 riff season now? So I'd say 10. You're going to go for a 10? Yeah. Hmm. Okay, we'll go with it. We'll go with a 10 here. That is the first 10 on here. But it's, this is the supercomputer connecting to the Oh, very good, very good. So, yeah, okay, we'll go with a 10 here. Um, I suppose songs like My Own Summer are very, very good in terms of riff quality. So we'll, we'll let you have a 10 there, Thank I think, you. as you're your first guest. Thank you. Um, so catchy chorus quality next. Well, they're, they're not hyper poppy despite their commercial success. So I'd have to say, if we're being really honest with catching, so I have to be honest now, right? So whilst I think their songs are all 10 out of 10 when it comes to sheer catchiness, I'm going to put them in like a seven, right? They're, they're not popular. They're not poppy. They're not consumable in that sense. So I'd put them down for seven for catchiness. Yeah, I'd agree with that completely. You know, they, they, there are some very good choruses in there. Um, you know, Changing the House of Flies, uh, Pink Maggot, and then um, Back to School as well has a really good one. And some of their some of their later commercial hard rock nonsense that you hate has some good, <laughs> has some good the, choruses the, the, in it the, as well. The, the, um, the drive time cuts. <laughs> For the yeah, school yeah, run. the one, the one for the dads when they're going off to go and play yeah. golf. They put mm-hmm. it on their eight-track tape. I, I love muff, nothing more than listening to Goon Squad as I wait for my eleven-year-old <laughs> to, 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 to finish playing Buckaroo or whatever they do. <laughs> I'm just waiting outside. I'm literally just waiting outside in my Ford Fiesta, listening to Goon Squad. That's my life. That's my life in about five years' time. I know. <laughs> Oh, beautiful. Um, okay, so the next uh, the next era here is uh, theatrics, which again, I think that's got to be pretty low. Yeah, when no, you compare them not, to things like Slipknot. Yeah. yeah, when it comes to stagecraft, I mean, in and of themselves, they're a charismatic band. I've loved watching their stage performances, but there's nothing, they're quite reduced. They don't come with props. They're, their stuff's not particularly busy. So I'd, I'd have to rank them very low, frankly. I mean, they're like one, two, threes. What they are very good at, this is a bit of a, sorry to take you away from the score, they're very good at, if you ever listen to their pre-set music, you know, when people just pipe in music, I've heard PJ Harvey, they've had the Twin Peaks theme, you know, they have very good pre-set, pre-lash music. <laughs> so they can have a couple of points for the they, pre-lash, let's give them and a three. for just having a turntablist in the first place. That's right, but, yeah, so, but so, they so should I- be rewarded, but not going overboard. Not going overboard, they get an extra point for being so restrained. Yeah, so maybe if we go for the three here, because I'd also like to take into account for theatrics the fact that they have very good music videos. I think we can count in their favor. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, the, vi- true. the video to Minerva is great. So yeah. although their theatrics are very low in comparison to the likes of, you know, you don't see Chino Moreno wearing a kilt, playing bagpipes and scatting. You don't see the rest of the band putting on masks and hitting tin cans for an hour. Um, but I think they're, they're still, they're well, still if, they if know how to craft something beautiful. If we're bringing in videos, though, so that's helpful because I was thinking of stagecraft. You look at something like You've Seen the Butcher, where they're covered in meat and blood and gore and all that kind of stuff, where actually, let's bump them up to a five, guys. These guys can turn it up. As their riffs become groovier, then their stagecraft becomes messier. So I actually kind of, you know, like a little bit more. Um, basically, late stage Deftones is early stage Elton John. That's basically it. Like they basically, they basically turn it up, like the goofiness. So yeah, let's let's give them a five, five rob, a five. In. I think that's that's got to be the new question, isn't it? Is our Deftones the Elton John of metal? <laughs> yeah. you guys or seen... is Elton John the Deftones of pop? Oh that's yeah, that's the real very question, cheap. isn't it? Uh, have you seen what well, Elton John? I think is retired now, but have you seen recently? He did like a video from his house where he's playing the piano in his garden oh God, and he's singing yes. "I'm Still Standing." No, I honestly never saw it. 
It sounds like um, he's <laughs> literally sounds like the pub singer from Shooting Stars, and it's I'm, unbelievably good. I'm laughing. But that's at where Deftones are going to be in thirty years. <laughs> Chino's going to be up there singing. It's going to be great. Uh, he will be the passenger on a bus because he's got a free pass. Very good, very very good, Rob. <laughs> a, a bit of levity there, very good. That's uh, I've often seen critics of this podcast say that there are very few light moments. So thank you for responding to them. <laughs> oh, there we go. Um, okay, so next next category here is the number of superfluous band members, and again, this has got to be small because oh, that's a they, good they one. They pack yeah. a big old punch with their with their with their band members. They're not a Slipknot. They've got a DJ who actually does stuff as well. He plays um, keyboards too. Yeah, so. keys, and synths, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, they're very, very restrained. They've always stayed safely within that, is it five? You know, five person. And in fact, they have to be applauded for retaining nearly 100%, apart from obviously Chi and, you know, the situation with his car crash and eventually, you know, passing yeah, on. Geez. They have to be applauded for maintaining the same, um, you know, a, a lineup. Do you know what I mean? I mean, that obviously Sergio joined, but I mean, they haven't had, you know, people dipping in and out or additional guitarists joining them or whatever. So, yeah, I, I think they should rank quite highly, in my opinion, on this scale as not going too overboard. Five is legitimate. Yeah, so I'd, I'd probably go one lower and go for maybe go for a four here. Yeah, is they they get they get points just because they have a DJ slash synth player. Mm. Um, you know, by default, that gets you some points. Um but I think they all really pull their weight and they all are an integral part of the band as a whole. So yeah, if we go for a four there, unfortunately the better the bands are at being good bands, the worse their new metal ranking does become. Which is <laughs> Inverse Deftones, graph. I think Deftones will be quite happy if they come out with a low score though. Um, but I think the next category they might do pretty well in was we've got hair color and style variety. And when I think of new metal hair, I often think of Chino's hair. He has um, brilliant you know, hair. He has brilliant hair. Yeah. So, so they don't necessarily have the same color variety as some of the other bands, but they dabbled a little bit with the red, but they had the big old spikes. They had the good beards. They had red in them. Um, I can, I, I can pretty much, you can, you can basically put them down by era, right? So as in, mm. so, um, cause it was, it was red in the late nineties, right? You know, the red and the frosted tips and all that. Then the two thousands when they became sensible, um they it was all there was no dye and then if you look in the gore tour they've been rock and has been rocking blonde he's been going for that kind of blonde look but the hair is always exquisite he had a great mop they did also used to wear a lot of t-shirts with swear words on like oh, not all did. the time but yeah, sometimes yeah. you'd see a picture and he's wearing a hoodie with f-u-c-t that's it yes yeah, like, yeah i know the exactly skate, what you mean, wasn't exactly that a skate label so yeah so i think they've got a they've got a, a they're pretty respectable here. What do you reckon? A seven, an eight, maybe? Let's, a seven. Let's get, let's get, all right, give them a seven, yeah. Um, and then next we've got goof factor. So here we're talking about how goofy were they at the time? Were they big old goofballs like Limp Bizkit? Were they more restrained like Papa Roach? Um, or did they go all out like Corn with scatting on stage and, and playing bagpipes so goof factor again i think they're going to be pretty low yeah i th- i think impressively right they've managed to be serious without taking themselves too seriously i never so they're not, they're not kind of droll or you know we're here to say something serious therefore you must respect our art but you know what i mean i'd, I'd never associate them with that much goofiness to my mind yeah, it's what I'd say. Their, their individual components are a bit goofy. So Stefan, the guitarist, is a massive weed head. Um, you've got, um, you know, um, Abe, the drummer, 
he's he's a little bit like if you've ever heard him talk you always do wonder do they hold him back in class by two years but as in <laughs> so, so a, a lot of times they base if yeah no yeah i th- they, they do have goofy members but as a whole minimal goof yes yeah, yeah. i agree because i i think when we talk about goof here um with the new metal goof factor it's almost an exact replica of political horseshoe theory where the further round you go to far right <laughs> the further down you get to far right where um yeah. where you, you can be a band that is just deliberately incredibly goofy like say faith no more if you're looking at sort of proto new metal where they those guys loved being goofballs they're all over it and then at the other end of the spectrum you've got disturbed who take themselves incredibly seriously and by doing so are the goofiest motherfuckers in the world. Exactly. And so Deftones, I think you're completely right. They took themselves seriously, but they never portrayed themselves as having a serious message. So again, I think they're going to be pretty low here. Um, maybe a, a four again. Yeah, let's put, let's, let's, put, put, let's put them in for a four. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then our final category is cringe barometer for 2020. And again, I think this has got to be pretty low because I think more than any other band we've listened to on this list, they have held up and re-listening to any of their music. I went, I, I, I listened to their entire back catalog, uh, back catalog a couple of times. Um, and I did not cringe once when listening to it. Yeah, I'd agree. There's um, nothing cringy. Even, yeah, yeah, me neither. Yeah, they, I, yeah, really good. That's a good assessment, Rob. So I think maybe we go for a one here because I'm I, even I was surprised that I'd be able to listen to Adrenaline and not cringe at all. But actually, it's still holds up incredibly well. And obviously, White Pony is is a, a, a masterpiece. So is everyone happy with a one? Yes. Yeah, yeah they're right? the, probably the least cringe band of the era. So so Deftones are the first band that we've had so far that have covered both a 10 and a one on the new metal scale, um, which is interesting. So let me just... Um, put all of these into the supercomputer for you if you'll just bear with me one moment whilst it goes i'm just getting the print out i'm just ripping it out of the computer now um and i can confirm to you all that deftones are the lowest ranked new metal band on this podcast so far um wow that does not mean that they're the worst band. In fact, I would probably say that they're the best band so far. But in terms of how new metal they are, they only come out with 54.28% new metal. Um, mm. So that puts them below Papa Roach. They are currently the least new metal band of this podcast, which they would be happy with. Which is yes, just... I think they would. You know, I'll leave it as a last point. It's so perverse, right? Because, you know, like that journalist who talked about the Papa Roach Linkin Park taproot gig that you, you dug up there, Rob they're responsible for this whole mess. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, obviously not, because obviously, like you said, corn started, kick-started, but you know what I mean? They're certainly one of, like, one of the accelerants, which kind of added fuel to the fire. And yet, they're just such little hit-and-run artists, aren't they? They start something, and as soon as they just, you know, they just do a runner, and we're all left to clean up all the baggy pants and chains. <laughs> they are the tiny domino that eventually falls into a giant pile of shit that is new metal <laughs> towards the end of its era um that's what deftones are um yeah so, so i'm sure they'll be happy with being the lowest lowest rank score um so far of, of how new metal they are i think if they if we were ranking this in terms of how good the music was they'd be incredibly high but obviously you know they used their music they, they use their talents incredibly well. They weren't incredibly goofy. Their music has aged excellently. All of that means that they're not as new metal as we want them to be. And we're disappointed in you, Chino. 
Next time, go back in time, make yourself stupider, <laughs> do more rapping, and then maybe you'll score better on this podcast. Chino, go back to school and learn how to be new metal. You want to be the leaders of new metal, then you need to go back to school, you maggot. <laughs> and on and on that <laughs> and on that maggot. bombshell. We out. We out. <laughs> That's it. There we go. That's it. Cut. <laughs>